Tell me about the, uh, you, you, you mentioned before that you, you, you met a guy, he's like 24 years old and he started in the next last couple of years, like 300 brands. Yeah, so the thing is, I, I dive very deep into different topics sometimes. And I actually started with this. I ex- I saw an article about this guy yesterday because I have uh, scrapers on Google. So if there are certain keywords online, I receive an email. So I received an email actually yesterday night about uh, this guy who started 300 e-commerce stores in the past two years. And is that a know, Swedish guy or? It's a Swedish guy. The guy is 24 years old. He lives in the suburb of Stockholm. He recently per, uh, bought a, a Tesla Y. He also recently uh, went to the Maldives uh, at Ritz Carlton. So he's obviously quite successful, right? And the amazing thing with this is basically that he takes, he takes not only business, but uh, e-commerce t- to a new level. He's basically A-B testing business models on scale. So what do you mean with testing, A-B testing business models? What do you mean with that? Well, uh, you use A-B testing as a term in e-commerce. And that is basically when you have one page where you see if the orange button is working better than the green button, right? And he's testing business models. He, he He's finding um, dropshipping partners in China. And then he is trying to sell... Uh, jewelry or, uh, you know, some fashion items or something else. He just comes up with a brand through a brand, you know, these weird um, brand generators generators online. And yeah, he tests business models on scale. Most of them fail, but some of them have become crazy successful. And that is inspiring. What do you mean he buys stuff from China then through like AliExpress or something and then sells it here or what? Exactly. So in order to make... Um, sourcing lean in the beginning in order in order not to to purchase you know inventory for thousands of euros he simply finds dropshipping partners in china and dropshipping means literally it's sent from china directly to the end consumer and, and normally that shipping is free right isn't it yes so there is actually um a contract that the chinese government um signed in the 70s i think and this contract says that china has as the only country in the world certain shipping terms globally and this contract is still remaining today which gives china like a uh, crazy competitive edge when it comes to the costs the shipping costs so in sweden if you ship something from your warehouse to the end consumer, it might cost you maybe seven, eight, nine euros or something. But if um, we recently invested in um, a jewelry business uh, that is doing exactly this, he went from, this is another guy, so he went from zero to 20 to 33 million sec, which is roughly 3.3 million euros uh, in 20 months in revenues with 25% in profits. He's paying about 1.5 euros to ship almost globally to the end consumer from China. Wow. So that's amazing. But what were the main, you know, when you, when you read this article or when you got to know about this guy and, and the ABT testing on business model, what, what sort of stood out to you? What got you really excited about that? Is that the whole speed of things or how to view it? Or? Exactly. You can call it speed. Uh, you can call it um, doing things on scale, uh, no matter what you call it, it's it's all about you know just um, doing something uh, massively more than anybody else does. So, for example, uh, I'm I, I, my background is from e-commerce, right? So, one great example is Daniel Wellington. Everybody knows about Daniel Wellington. Those freaking watches with the straps, you know, that look like a 
trendy belt. Mm -hmm. And what he did was basically that he identified five, six, seven years ago that you could take the watch, ship it to any influencers in the world, and they would post about the watch without um, asking you to pay them. You know, so it's basically influencer gifting. It's mm. called influencer gifting in the e-commerce space. And he identified this was working really, really well. So what does he do? Well, he doesn't 5x or 10x it, but he hired 80 people full time, you know, direct messaging people on Instagram in order to find those deals where he can ship a free watch to an influencer who posts about the watch, right? So taking something that works and making a lot of it. Massive like not only scale. Massive scale. And this is the same thing. Nobody starts 300 web shops in two years. <laughs> I mean, similar to a concept we usually use in AI development as well called failing fast. So, you know, when you especially build some kind of AI system, you never know what will work until you try it on the real data that you do have. And I guess in this case, it's similar. You never know what will work until you try it on a number of brands and ideas that you have. And then you try a lot of them. Better to try 10 or 300 than to try one and try, you know, put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, and then fail fast. But, 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 the, but the concept is quite profound if you now contrast that with a traditional company who has a very rigid view on investments and projects and what we're going to do and where fail fast is not an option. You need to succeed with, with your business case because your career is built on that. And you kind of see, ooh, there's a big gap here between what, <laughs> what is really working in the new economy versus what, how we used to see things in a more stable economy. So it's, it's massively different. So imagine taking that ideas and how do, how, how do you work with that to have a lot of great ideas and test them and discard them if you're Scania or Vattenfall? I, 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 of course it's not the same, but th there is, there is a definitely a, a a gem here, how would you do that? And they are not thinking like that, maybe. Or some of them but are. Do you maybe. think you can do the same idea inside a company? So if you have an e-commerce company and, and you really want to find, you know, what type of product that really works or business idea, do you think you can have any, like an internal 300 brand kind of idea or <laughs> do it in that way? I mean, I think every single company in the world should. Uh, it, it's, you know, we, we were talking, as you said in the beginning, mm. uh, you said, this is also applicable to AI. Mm. And it's the same thing because this is more of a process. So this is basically applicable to everything also in life. Like it's better to uh, test 10 different jobs in one year to see what, what you want to do in life rather than work on one place at the time for three years at the time, yeah. right? It's just a more efficient development process. Uh, and uh, I'm a big fan of Ray Daly, who's also talking a lot about this. Anyway, I think to be able to succeed with this internally, you... Um, probably need external teams. I would say almost like mini teams. Klarna uses usually, I think it's four people per team, right? One developer, one product manager, uh, one specialist, and one uh, other person that probably and hopefully is adding value to that team as well. And then simply you let those team run by themselves. I think you need to implement um, freedom and uh, you need to to accept failure, massive failure, in order to to get this process internally into other companies, especially so, big companies. So, so the bottom line is, that, I mean, like it's not like you can copy the whole thing, but the principles and ideas. How how would you clone that ideas and make that into an internal process? 
in in uh, in a big company as an example. Yes. So let's take a big company such as Vattenfall that you recently mentioned, right? I don't know anything about their uh, business model really, but I know that if they would create those kinds of mini teams internally and just give them a budget and tell them to fail really really fast, but also, you know, not only think 5 or 10x, but really think, you know, 1000x instead like how can we change things for real that's when the really interesting uh, questions are answered right um it's not only about shooting the rocket to the moon it's how can we reach the sun how we how can we reach the end of the universe <laughs> you know when you ask other questions you just get different answers right so in in a nutshell also if you want 10x you need to put start putting up 10x goals you need to start thinking 10x in everything you do and that means to get to 10x you're not going to find the one golden silver bullet at, at once you're going to shoot a lot of bullets yeah okay. for sure you you have to shoot a lot of bullets it's like angel investing in angel investing you mostly fail you know uh, on average if you have a portfolio of 20 companies that you invest in you know five at least go bankrupt 10 are mediocre maybe one or two x you know another three or four are five or 10x but there's also always the one that makes not always but if you're good at it uh, you might find the one that is a thousand x or a five thousand x and that on average like how this would affect the portfolio that you own it's massive like 99% of the um, profits within that portfolio only comes from this one single company, right? Yeah, but it's, but it's a mind shift in how we think about innovation and improvements to, to some degree. Yeah, for sure. What, what a great uh, conversation, but, but, but that's, uh, you know, let, let's get, the, you know, who, let's introduce you properly. Uh, Bjorn Polman Spenger, very much welcome to the pod today. And, and we are very excited to have you here. You're running a very successful uh, pod of your own, Framtina Seahandel. Uh, we've been work. I, I, I remember you working with you when you were freshly baked out of university. So that's a lot of fun. And yeah, uh, great to have you here. And let's start up with this first simple question. Who is Björn Polman Spengler? <laughs> Big question. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, um, so I think I mainly, I mean, a dad, I have a daughter that is two and a half years old. I'm, I hope I'm an okay uh, husband as well. You'll have to ask my wife about this, <laughs> but I try to be. And I think I've always been doing a lot of, you know, projects in life. It's like people have hobbies, people play squash, people play paddle, whatever. And I've always uh, enjoyed uh, building things, not necessarily physically. So when I was like 14 years old and didn't, didn't um, get to buy a scooter or a moped because uh, you have to be 15 in Sweden in order to, to drive one. Um, I got pissed at my parents and then I bought the book uh, HTML for Dummies and I built a moped web page basically, oh. which um, ended up in being the, the biggest moped web page in Scandinavia. So we had these uh, moped gatherings because I've just wrote on the first page on the moped web page that, hey, let's meet at uh, Valhalla Grillen at 2 p.m. on Saturday. And then we ended up being like 100 scooters uh, at this moped chef, you know. <laughs> <laughs> moped meetup. Yeah, so I was uh, I was doing that. Then I gave away the web page, which was stupid, obviously, out of a financial perspective. Um, and then I studied in Stockholm and uh, the States uh, economics which also was quite boring. And 
Um, then, yeah, then I ended up working at ProSales, where you also used to work. Yeah. Uh, and what I did was basically to knock the doors of the coolest office in, in Stockholm, which was the top of uh, DN Skrattan. Yeah, right? so our old office had the best view in Stockholm. <laughs> yes. So I assumed you guys were the best. Tried to get a job there. I got a job there. And then uh, we worked together for maybe one or two years. One or two years. And, and, and also, I think it's at the same time, you already had your own e-business even before you joined process, I think. So almost right through school. Exactly. So we back then had the business model to do drop shipping of furniture and interior design uh, products. We saw um, an opportunity on the market where, you know, you have very specific needs when you buy a, a sofa table. You want it to be oval, certain heights, a certain length. So we said, let's go all in on the assortment. We found uh, hundreds of partners uh, to, to sh um, drop ship the products directly to the end consumers. This yeah, drop ship, ship, what does that mean really? Right, so this is basically shipping directly from the um, suppliers to the end consumers. Mm. And this wasn't really common 10, common 10 years ago when we started with this. Yeah, but the, core, the core idea is that you don't need to take on stock. Exactly. So, uh, and this I was thinking more about Amazon drone kind of dropping packages <laughs> and shipping. Let's packages. talk about this topic later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, today, a lot of people do it from China. Back then, it wasn't uh, wasn't that easy to source from China. So we did it from Scandinavia. We basically called every single brand in Scandinavia. And some of them uh, told us we could sell their products. Um, and we found a process that would work. So we sold this company roughly four or five years ago. Uh, and I was supposed to continue to work then due to a lock-in. But uh, we ended up, me quitting quite fast. And then we chilled for maybe one and a half years. And what, what did you do when you chill? Uh, we went to uh, northern Sweden, like this amazing, you know, nature. And we basically read books. I maybe read three or four books a week. Oh. <laughs> so it was amazing. Really, really amazing to do this. You and your wife, yeah. Because you had your business together, right? Exactly. And the dog uh, that also joined us. And then... In this inspirational environment, I got a lot of ideas. Um, and one of the ideas uh, is basically the thing that I do today. So what I do today is mainly fashion tech group, which in the beginning was supposed to, to be some kind of a direct-to-consumer incubator. Let's translate those words into Swedish. Mm. So direct-to-consumer is this thing where you skip all the middlemen. You, instead of having a producer selling to a brand, selling to a, uh, an agency, selling to a wholesaler and selling to the end consumer, instead of having this complex chain where, you know, four or five different parties need to share the profits of the product, you basically go to the supplier, you buy products from them and you ship it directly to the end consumer and you sell the products digitally, obviously. So this, <clears throat> the result of this is that you have great gross margins. And uh, in order also to um, even be more profitable from starch, we also thought, how can we remove this big um, batch of money that is going to marketing? And what we did was to create those brands with big influencers so that we minimized the marketing cost. So suddenly we had a business model where we took away all the middlemen. Uh, we sold products for, you know, 80% gross margin to end consumers, and we barely had a marketing spend. Yeah, because because you've been part of the 
revolution of sort of new types of marketing, influencer influencer marketing, and find, and uh, could you in a nutshell like, describe influencer marketing? Well, I think so. There is a lot of people. There, okay, twenty years ago, the people that were known in the world, you know, the famous people were either way soccer stars such as David Beckham, or a band such as Backstreet Boys, or the TV personality. That's where media was previously, right? They were on television. Everybody watched television. So if you were a television host, you were famous, right? And this changed until 2021 uh, today because there is social platforms. So there's a lot of famous people created on the social platforms such as TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And this just changes the power kind of, it takes away a little bit of power from the media, uh, traditional media houses, and it gives a lot of power to the Bianca and Grossos uh, that, you know, want to do something with their life. And you tapped into this and you tried to understand how how to use that in, 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 in the context of fashion brands. Exactly. So we initially um, had an idea of creating fashion brands uh, for influencers and taking equity as payment. So doing sourcing, logistics, uh, operations, IT, etc., bringing this package of value, which we thought like, this is our value proposition. Let's bring it to the influencer and let's create a brand together. And we ended up um, doing four brands last year. So uh, two of them went good, two of them failed. And uh, today we're also... Um, doing further things. Uh, one of them is to to buy brands, buy, buy direct-to-consumer brands and developing them and scaling them. But we also plan to create uh, in-house brands in the future. So create brands ourselves. Can you just give some example of a brand and how you find that and how you come up with, this is actually the brand we're going to go for uh, and the price we're going to sell. Uh, what's your thinking there? How do you go about doing that? It's a super interesting question because uh, that is crazy crazy hard you know and i'm i'm really a process person so what i see is just the you know um the relations between input and outcome basically so i'm i'm really strategic and and uh, really don't care about the brand itself <laughs> but some people really care about the brand and especially internally we luckily have those kinds of people too <laughs> right <laughs> but um what we saw is, is that it's super hard to craft a concept um, that, you know, where you just for sure know that it's working. It's super hard to estimate the success of a brand. You know, some of them uh, that we we didn't have big hopes, they became crazy successful. And some of the brands where we have had amazing hopes didn't become successful. And it's just too complex to say whether a brand and the products and the price tags are something that your target audience wants. It's, it's just almost like AI impossible. development. You, know, you never know in advance and you get so frustrated <laughs> with the model that actually you thought would work the least actually turned out to work the best. But isn't that, this is a, a quite profound topic because if that is the real truth that we can't really know, and, and here we are and we do business cases and plans like, and we, we go to pitches like we knew, we know the shit, but in reality, if we are more humble, we would have a different approach where basically, well, we kind of need to do several topics and we need to test which brand will fly. Yeah, and we learned this the hard way, you know. So <laughs> we really um, 
I mean, partly we launched most of the brands in the middle of Corona, uh, which was both good and bad. Uh, but partly we learned that you just, it's, it's too hard to guess. So uh, there is new processes and we will probably talk about this later today. There is people that I have met now very, very recently that create hundreds of e-commerce shops and brands at the same time, only for the purpose to test which one is working. Basically, a super lean, you know, uh, testing of a, a business case or a business concept. But just to give, you know, the listeners a bit more concrete understanding, <coughs> can, you, can you give some example, perhaps one of the brands that you started that actually did turn out to work or not work? Just speak a bit more concretely. What did it do? How did you come up with it? Yeah, so we, we start brands um, yeah, within the fashion space mm -hmm. and... Um, we the the best performing brand um was uh, is called mikura so m y k u t t a and uh, that was started with an influencer that also is called mikura and what we did was basically to start a brand together with her uh, and we dropped it and the thing is when you do this together with a big influencer you instantly see that there is a massive revenue peak on the first day so let's talk about those revenue peaks a little bit. So there's examples. I can't say internal numbers, but I can, I can send exter external numbers. Mm -hmm. So there's examples of, you know, very well-known Swedish direct-to-consumer influencer brands. So brands that are founded by influencers that do maybe one and a half, two million euros in revenues within 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's because of the crazy, crazy impact they have uh, towards their end consumers um, through their social channels. And uh, another good example is Kaya Cosmetics. Kaya Cosmetics, uh, and this is official data, which is great because <laughs> I really can talk about it. Kaya Cosmetics was founded by Bianca Ingrosso, who is one of the biggest influencers in Sweden. She also has amazing engagement. Yeah. Uh, she has a podcast, YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it took them 18 months so they launched in November 20, I think it was 19. Uh, 18 months later, they sold the entire, uh, they sold 51% of the company roughly to Verdain Capital, which is a super smart investor. So no you know, stupid uh, investor um, for a valuation of 50 million euros, five zero million euros. And euros, so yeah, 500 million Swedish. 500 million Swedish sec after 18 months uh, being live uh, for... Uh, so there's some real numbers here to sort of uh, back up this topic. And so so more or less then, there, there, are, you know, there are examples here of different brands, uh, how that work. I want to also, another topic, you know... Before, before we move into another topic, what do you think about, you know, the power <laughs> that the influencers has, especially on fashion, think it's good or bad for you know I, users it's or? interesting i also love um okay in the, the, i think alexander bard is very interesting uh because he he states a lot of different things and it obviously annoys people yes. because he he can be very harsh but the thing is uh, he also he, he doesn't care about the norm in the society but what he cares about is what he believes is true. So he reads a lot of books. He does a lot of research. He, he, he tries to understand things a lot. And then he just tells the, the world what he thinks is true. And sometimes he, um, um, uh, 
the reception from the norm is just very poor. So uh, he gets a very, very, very uh, hard time. And I think the influencer discussion is very similar because uh, I don't really want to say whether it's good or it's bad for the world that we have those thousands of young, you know, 15, 16, mm. 13, 21 years old people that have massive influence on the world and people's behavior, right? Uh, there is certainly a lot of different challenges within that. So I don't say whether it's good or bad. I just say that there has been a massive change in where the power lies today. And I think this change will, um, even in the future, uh, go even faster. And you just have to try to learn and adopt to that change. And if Do you you're think a good- it will continue to grow in the power of influencers or? I mean, uh, <laughs> To answer that question, you have to look where people's uh, eyes uh, are today, right? Mm -hmm. Where do people spend time? 10 years ago, there basically was no social media. Mm -hmm. So the eyeballs were all on televisions. <laughs> and maybe there was some person that might have had a super early stage smartphone, but, uh, you know, social media wasn't really a thing. And today people spend, it always increases over time, but it's like three, four hours on average on social media per day. This is like 15, 20%, maybe sometimes more of your entire life you spend in social media. And this increases over time. So obviously the impact of people on the influencers uh, also increase over time. Yeah, I just want to continue this discussion a bit more, but because social media, you can argue, you know, can be good or bad for various reasons. And, and you can certainly find bad examples, but you can find good examples as well, I think. Um, and the level of influence that people have in general and the way they can, can communicate now that they couldn't do before is uh, amazing. But if you take, you know, this, this will make it very clear. I'm not a fashion guy. <laughs> I don't care that much about brands. Um, that my, my girlfriend continue to, to annoy me with and, and say you have to buy this other stuff. But isn't it a strange thing that so much money is being spent by young uh, people on the brand itself rather than the function of the product? Sorry for <laughs> sounding so boring. You sound very old, Hannes. <laughs> I, I can't help it, but oh my God, you took the old man's stance. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but do you see a problem with that? They spend so much money just to keep up with all the, the changes in the brand. And I, I guess the brand also will just continue to grow and, and change in a much more dynamic way than ever before. And that will make it even harder to just keep up with, you know, what's currently the fashion right now? Because it will change so fast, right? And, yeah. and that will make people spend money on things that they could have used for other things otherwise, right? Yeah, maybe. I. <clears throat> It's a hard question because, you know, um, people are very much different. Mm. Uh, and I think, uh, I think a human being, uh, homo sapiens sapiens, you know, the only thing you want is to be by basically be accepted by your environment. Right. And, uh, today in so in the social media landscape that we have, you see luxury, you see the Maldives, you see supercars, you know, but then you start comparing with that, you're uh, comparing yourself with that. And that is probably rather a bad thing than a good thing for, for human beings. Mm. Right. You can also see in statistics that, um, the yeah, happiness has decreased. People are more depressed. Uh, mm. And this was also pre-corona. So social media is not necessarily a good thing for, for our, yeah. us human beings. 
But it's interesting because on the one hand side, you can you can you you can talk about this on sort of societal <coughs> level, and you know we can drive discussions on regulation and all that. On on the on another note is like well the the cat is kind of out of the bag, you know we're not going to be able to put it back in again. So, <laughs> but we can be influencers. We can be influencers. And we can say you know this is potentially bad or good. Yes, but will who will care? Uh, perhaps some people. Uh, then we need to be more, more influential. We need <laughs> if you to, don't say so, what you think, you know, but no the, one will okay, care. Okay, so so then the only thing required for the bad to win is for the good to stay silent. Okay, but then but by by the point is this: if you want to if you want to win that game, you want you need to play the influencer game. Yeah, and we're doing that right now. And we're doing it right now. Yeah. So <laughs> so 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 then then the bottom line becomes. It's not per se the influencer phenomenon that will go away. How can we have the influencer phenomenon to go for more valuable or more human, better values? I mean, yes. like so. So the influencer thing, I don't think, will go away. Yeah. But how can we, as a society, instead of having the car, you know, the picture of the super yachts and the and the and and the supercars? How can we get the influencers focus on, I guess, sustainability, circular um, economy, circular economy, yes. blah blah blah, which I think is happening right now. I mean, like, it's hip and trendy to have, uh, you know, ocean plastic uh, as part of your clothing mm. yeah. uh, assortment. Sure. So, so basically, that whole thing will feed itself. So, when it's uncool to be bad in terms of creating, you know, what what is not good for society. If you want to be an influencer and you feel your environment, well, more and more brands come up now, which is, you know, we have, uh, you know, fashion being created by, you know, cotton with zero impact on on, on water and stuff like that. They have their green tech, uh, the green tech, uh, huge green tech uh, conference or, or event in Berlin. And there's a lot of fashion brands that sort of highlights, well, we can do cool fashion that is sustainable. What do you think, John, about that? Would you consider create, creating a brand that's based on sustainability? I mean, we uh, always are because you have to simply. So, for example, we did a bomber jacket with a German influencer, and that bomber jacket was just like you said, Henrik. Uh, it was like plastic that you collect from the oceans. You create. Um, a sewing thread out of this, and you can sew a fabric out of it, and you can use that fabric in your jacket. <coughs> and, so, and then, oh, then that becomes the cool shit. We, let's do stuff that is costing more in a brand, but is good for environment. As an example, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I also think it's hard. I mean, it's it's a lot of different questions here. So mm -hmm. let's just talk about one question at a time. I think the first question is. Um, you were saying that the influencer phenom phenomenon you were referring to, influencers have always been around. You know, they look different 50 years ago because they wrote books. Then they look different 20 years ago because they were on television. <clears throat> now they look different because they are on social media. And mm. this will change. It's just a landscape that changes due to technolo um, uh, technology and the development of technology. Mm. The other thing I'm thinking of is, you know, the sustainability question. Uh, there was uh, research done, I don't remember exactly by, by who, but, you know, uh, legitimate research. And they displayed that if the end consumer could choose between, you know, one white t-shirt that maybe has a cost of, I'm just uh, making up the numbers here now, you know, 60 euros, it's super sustainable, and it has all those features that are so important to people today. Uh, then, and on the other hand, you have a t-shirt that costs 
you five euros instead and you get two for one maybe and it's made in in the worst possible environment it still shows that most of the people pick the cheap t-shirt so i i think there is a big difference in environment today uh, towards you know what people say out loudly and how they act according to their yeah. consumer behavior mm. And I'm just talking about average terms here. Obviously, there is extremes in both directions. So I'm just talking about the averages. And <clears throat> I think that is one of the biggest challenges um, that, uh, or, or maybe, you know, th the question is, <clears throat> should you put this on the end consumer? Yes or no? I definitely think no. The parties that need to take action are partly the politicians and partly the companies. The companies actually do a lot already. They already focus on this a lot because today you mostly have to be uh, <laughs> your, but I'm, th I'm thinking of uh, a lot of Scandinavian companies, maybe not so much in, in Asia uh, as we do here. Uh, and about the politicians, I just think we don't do enough. But if the market do exist, if the demand exists for a certain cheap type of t-shirt or handbag or whatnot, don't you think there will always be supply in the end? Is it really sufficient to change the companies? Don't you need to change the opinion of the end users still, you think? I mean, um, of course it is important that people, that end consumers change their behavior but I'm just saying that it's not going to be enough. Mm. Yeah, good. Yeah. I agree with that. Let's, I want to move into another topic as, as sort of concluding a little bit about who is uh, uh, Björn Paulman Spenger. You created and started up a, a quite successful podcast from Tidens e-handel. Uh, tell us about that story and, and what your goal is and how that came about. Yeah, so the podcast was launched uh, roughly a year ago. Um, which was in October 2020. And I just wanted to do a podcast. Uh, I love the medium. I've been listening to podcasts for, tens, for 10 years. <clears throat> and I wanted to learn things. That's, that was the purpose of, of launching the podcast. To meet <clears throat> cool guests to learn more. Exactly. So I launched the podcast and I just enjoyed it very much. Uh, so I launch it on a weekly basis today, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, it's almost always always fun. Um, I mean, like that was one of the reasons, uh, you know, to collaborate with another podcaster. Uh, how was your journey to figure it out? You know, I think you you basically went quite lean. If someone is interested in podcasting, how how do you do that? Exactly. Um, yes. So. I uh, made sure to find uh, an awesome editor of the podcast, uh, which was Michaela Dorsch. I found her on Fiverr.com. So uh, she was a Swedish uh, uh, woman, but she lives in Spain. And we found a deal that uh, both of us were very happy with. Uh, besides this, I found a studio and same thing there. I wanted to have the guests just like here in this podcast have a, an amazing environment, you know. So we... Uh, I ended up recording the podcast uh, here in Stockholm in a super cool studio with some coffee and reception and so on. And yeah, I invite guests that are interesting, that know a lot in, in different uh, niches within e-commerce. One episode can be about logistics. The next episode can be about, I don't know, being visionary. The third episode can be about uh, sourcing and production. Yeah, I listened to some of your podcasts and I'm really impressed with the... Uh 
your sharpness in, in, in how you interview and how you get the discussion going and keep it sharp. We, we need to learn a little bit here. <laughs> we have a different style. Um, but I, one of the things I found really, really interesting when I, when I listened to your podcast is that I think you're trying to demystify the new landscape. I mean, like you have some guests that talks about Generation Z marketing, how TikTok marketing and all that works. And for me, that is <clears throat> in one way, very similar mission as we have here, trying to demystify the new world in terms of data and AI. Um, what, what do you think are the sort of core learnings or things you've been sort of putting your finger on in your podcast uh, that you, you, you think stands out that you want to share? It's a very good question, also very big. Yeah, it's uh, a big one. I understand we have uh, big questions here in the studio. <laughs> That's the point with this studio. <laughs> I think uh, one learning is really to, um, I would say, yeah, one learning is really to to scale the things that are not, not necessarily are scalable. So uh, what I mean by this is that um, e-commerce not only is, you know, hyper-automated, um, at least most of it. So when there is things that work really, really well, for example, something like uh, influencer gifting or some other marketing tactic, you know, just try to think thousand X, like how can, how can we, how can we scale the shit out of influencer gifting? Because it's working really, really good. That is one of the big learnings. Another learning is probably that, uh, and this is also based due to my, you know, the history of the stuff we've been doing in business is that you really have to fail a lot to actually succeed in the end. And um, yeah, if, if you just can increase the number of failures, you increase your chances of getting learnings and successes. So, so this fundamental topic of innovation speed, try a lot of things and, and put them in production <coughs> with as lean as possible, is such a profound idea that goes into how we code and how we really work with data and AI. I mean, like that's, I think one of the main mistakes that a lot of traditional companies make, oh, we want to do data and AI. They don't see the results, but, but they, they, they don't have the fundamental mindset of 10 X in, in trying. Yeah. Would you agree? I mean, it's, uh, you know, the Facebook statement, you know, move fast and break things. Um, it's the same thing as failing fast. And um, yeah. as Spotify you know, founder said, you know, we're going to be the company that fails the fastest. <laughs> and it sounds bad, but it's actually a really good thing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it is profound. And it's, it is actually going into, you know, we can take that into data and AI. We can take that into how to build innovation into an old company. Mm -hmm. Or we can take it into e-commerce. Mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, there's so many topics here. Um, I'm, I have one topic I, I kind of want to start with uh, because we have you as an expert here and we are ar around data and AI. And I think it has a lot to do with, with, with at least uh, software data and all that. I mean, like in, in reality now, in my understanding and how you talk about it, you can basically get going with, with an e-commerce setup in minutes. Yes. So if you look at, if you look at the environment in e-commerce, let's say five or 10 years ago, you know, you, you struggled setting up an IT shop because you needed those open source platforms and a bunch of uh, developers. Today, this is sassified. So you have software, software as a service, software as a service. You just uh, pay Shopify 20 euros a month and then you're good to go. 
and have an outstanding show. Sassified. I never heard that. Uh, making uh, up terms here, trying to chum no, them. <laughs> I love it. It's good. Um, five, ten years ago, uh, it was hard to find a good logistics partner that can ship products globally. And today in 2021, it's simply super simple because there is... Uh, applications available you just do two or three clicks and you're basically integrated to a warehouse and you don't even have to meet them you don't have to talk to them you talk to this middleman that is the it partner and they solve everything they even have prepared all the prices for you already so you just pick uh, any logistics partner you want to work with uh, globally almost you have this in, in every country in the world and it can be done in five minutes and you know uh, complex things such as sourcing, which is uh, in my world, uh, you know, you have to wash clothes to actually color them. You have to sew the clothes and that is a super manual piece of work. You know, I would say this also starts to become quite automated. So uh, if you, for example, want to uh, drop ship any product category, you can just go to AliExpress. They are already integrated to your IT platform and you can pick between tens of thousands of different products that you want to start selling. And that's the difference between today and 10 years ago or even five years ago. It's super, super accessible. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, I don't have a good comparison, but any person can today start a web shop, web shop within a few hours. Yeah, but and you, sorry, one, one in between. You even gave uh, the example uh, of a very successful Chinese company. Tell us that story, uh, Shane. Yes. So if you look at the, you know, most successful company in, in the Western world within uh, sourcing in, in the fashion space, it is Sara because Sara is very well known. This is like the main example in the textbooks yeah. at any university. Yeah. Main globally. competitor to H&M in Sweden. Exactly. Course. So they have a, an incredible time to market. And that time to market is roughly, you know, one and a half months. So from one and a half months, they can have an idea. They can uh, design the clothes. Uh, they can create um, proper uh, product samples. They go into mass production after buying fabrics. Then they color the fabric. Then they sew the fabric. Then you have the finished product. You maybe have done a photo shoot with the samples already. And then the products are shipped to the stores. They have the Western Europe's, I would say, leading uh, time turnaround. to market. Yeah, for, turnaround times. Yeah, time to market for new uh, new uh, product so, collections. So they can always be on top of the new trends. And what's right? that number roughly? How fast? Yeah, roughly one and a half months. One and a half months yeah. to turn around from idea to in the shop in Sara. Yes, which uh, is good. It used to be incredible. And today, looking at the the Chinese markets, there is companies such as Shane.com. So it's S-H-E-Y-N.com. Let's in, have a look at it. Shane.com. Yes. It's very popular, actually. Yeah, but I think... My kids is, love it. Exactly. But That's explain this. Yeah, so, so Shane.com, what Shane does, uh, it's a very successful Chinese company that, you know, has been around for like seven or eight years. And they already have a revenue that is as big or bigger than Sara. And not in China, but in the Western world. So they have scaled this business insanely fast mm -hmm. uh, in the Western world, mainly. And what they do is basically to scrape social media after trends. So they look at Kim Kardashian and, you know, millions of social accounts and see um, what is trending, what kind of outfits are trending. 
then they create thousands of outfits per day, you know, so, digitally. So, so digitally, they're they are, they are putting this together, some sort of AI or some sort of topic that can f- scrape it, image recognize and, and translate that into... Exactly. And at that stage, it's already sold on the web shop. So they start selling when the product not even exactly. is innovated in terms of you don't have a tech pack that you would need for production. So, And then roughly 48 hours later, you actually have the product in stock and it's already shipped to the end consumer. So, 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 they be, so the whole process is now very automated from scraping the web. I mean, like if, if we break this down, they have technology and ways how to, how to find the trends. Yes. Then they have the, the technology and know-how, how to translate the trends into a new print or a new sh- collection. A picture that they can use to, to start selling the items yeah, ha- online. And that, that process, that's like 24, that's the first 24 hours. I guess so. I mean, um, I talked to my uh, colleague about this, who is an expert within sourcing. And he told me that it's, it's basically impossible for the molecules, you know, to move <laughs> faster in order to make this even uh, faster. So it's like the most efficient process that you can reach because things in fashion have to dry and you need to sew them. And there is, you have to buy the fabric and there is so many aspects to this. So, so it's, Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, so it's, it's, it's so crazy that even for you who are in the industry to comprehend what is actually happening behind the scenes is almost inconceivable. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've, um, been doing e-commerce since I was 14, 15 and, and things just, uh, surprised me. But if lot. you were to guess how it really works, I mean, exactly. they must have some kind of base products that they, they go from and they find some trend. They find the closest kind of match for that. They perhaps change the the pattern on it or the colors on it or whatever to match the trend. Or how do you think it works? I mean, they can't really produce it from the thread to the actual sending it to the customer that fast. They have to have some base that they go from, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, if you prep the meal that you're about to cook, yeah. then it's uh, going way faster. Yeah, right? So exactly. I guess that's basically what they are doing. But I think the scraping co- part is quite easy to mm-hmm. just identify trends. And then, uh, and you guys are the AI ex- experts, but the, uh, creating product pictures from social media posts yeah. is probably also quite easy. Yeah. And, and then you can start selling and then you don't sell 100% of the items, but you have maybe, I, I don't remember the exact number. I think it's like five, six, 7,000 items a day, new items per day that they put online. They um, probably say that 90% of that stuff didn't work out. Let's focus on the 10% that did work out. So then you have certain rules and Whenever a product, you know, reaches a certain limit, this uh, supply chain machinery starts rolling. And that one is obviously not sleeping. Mm. <laughs> so crazy failing, failing fast yep. processes. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> yes. but we've talked about this in other areas where we sort of said, where is, where is web shopping going? And we talked about this from an Amazon perspective that, you know what, in 10 years time, uh, Amazon will know exactly your preferences so well. So they will actually send you the product first and say, keep it if you like it or ship it back. Predictive shopping. Predictive shopping we're talking about here, right? And to me, it's, it's, it's that fundamental idea of rethinking first principles, this whole chain in, in a completely different way. And what we are seeing here with chain is actually, well, this is not futuristic. In, in some ways it's happening here and now. To, to, to I mean, the question is how much, I mean, they seem to, in the chain.com 
um, part be focusing on the production of the material, not so much on the selling of it. What are you doing, Goran? Are you uh, doing scraping the code? <laughs> <laughs> Goran is scraping the cone of Shane. Okay, you want to copy and learn fast. I like it. Oh, I like it as well. well that's, that's turning me off. No, but, um, so for one, you need to, to be really fast in customizing the products you know, to whatever trends you have. But it's a second thing to understand what each customer wants to have, to understand the preference of each user. And that, you know that's normally been the strength of Amazon. Yeah, but this is and a different part of the logic. I mean, it here is like we do five thousand samples, and then we we get them all up on the web page, and then we actually see what you works. Can, you can't show five thousand products to a single user. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> right. So you need to be able to customize that and personalize <clears throat> the experience for that. And the question so, is, they probably have a lot of that stuff as well in Shane.com. I don't know. Yeah. But so so. This would be perfect example for a question of what are the key trends in e-commerce today? Because mm. if you if you look at this, this is actually everything that we would come up to today. It will be here. Recommendation, chat boxes, influencers, scraping, everything that AI can actually do. And the whole do. supply chain, the yeah. whole bloody supply chain. Yeah, the, visu the visual things about it that you were talking about, so you need to make it appealing. And as you said, 80% of this stuff, stuff probably doesn't even exist. You yeah. just focus on the 20% that people yeah. order. So, so is, uh, is your bet here that actually they put all these, you know, product pictures out, like, you know, as a, a couple of thousand per day, and then they start producing when they see, like, like, like A-B testing, really? Yeah, for sure. No, for 100%. Sure. So they... Uh, probably see, and you know, you can also apply this to many different areas, but within business models, within products that you sell, you always talk about the 80-20 uh, rule, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just true that um, most of the stuff that you do doesn't work. So at least 80% of the products they put online probably do not work. We also see this, and what you just have to do is to learn and do more mm -hmm. of the stuff that works. But I think, you know, I, I would be very surprised if they don't both have the, you know, uh, automated trend customization part and also the Profiling. user personalization and recommender For system sure. underneath. If you combine those two, that would be an amazing combo. Yeah, because combo. The, I, I think that's the point, right? So in one hand side, they, they have the tech right for scraping and, and to, uh, to, to sort out trends into mm. collection. And at the other, other end of the chain, they are surely targeting which out of those 2,000 pictures they promote. If you, if you click one picture, you probably get a lot of similar stuff just by you uh, know, the recommender yeah. system itself, yeah. I would guess. Yeah. So you see how much in the background is basically collecting as a statistics, yeah. everything from Twitter to Facebook. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, you have Bing. You can see it all. Yeah, Google. So now we're looking into the uh, code, what is scraped or what is uh, this interesting. But I, I think this was a good, this is a good entry point now because, the, I mean, like, l let's, let's back up and see what that, what, what are we really talking about here and what is this meaning in, in terms of uh, moving into a data and AI first society or basically a, a tech driven society. So we've been talking about the AI divide here a lot, right? To understand that there are some tech giants who truly understand tech on a different planet. And in, in this way, they are, they, are, they are on a different macro life cycle and they are innovating and they are growing as hell right now. And then we have the traditional companies who have, haven't really 
they are still in the industrial age. They're still analog and trying to put data and AI on top of old analog processes. So clearly, here is the topic of first principles and those ideas that you cannot take uh, the old Sarah process further down to one, one and a half amounts is amazing. But to do this, to get it down to 48 hours, you need to th- rethink completely. Yeah, it's, it's it's an Elon Musk mind that has created this, right? Where you You're not uh, you, all you, our you, notes. Oh here. my god, you use <laughs> you, you you use many wet his pants almost. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's it's not about innovating, things. but it's just about doing something totally freaking different than ever has been done before, right? Yeah, but this how, is what this is first what principles. You, yeah, but but what do you think then about Amazon? You know, Amazon. If you look at the bad sides of it, at least, you know, they have like 50% market share or something of, of retail in, in US and they, they are so big that you have to, if you want to sell a book, you have to go through Amazon. Otherwise, you, you won't sell as much as you could otherwise. And they have amazing data and AI capabilities yeah. to, to an extent that no one else have and can understand the user and what they want. And they do predictive shopping and they use drones to, to send them the packages and, and whatnot. Do you think there is, you know, you have started a number of brands. What is the chance for for small startups to really compete with Amazon and these kind of huge tech giants? You, you yes, no, that is a, a super good question. So I think the, the nature of Amazon is providing a certain value. And that mm-hmm. value is uh, very often about speed and price, right? So when it comes to products that are about speed and price, it might be very difficult for other companies to to compete. So uh, if you're talking about diapers or toilet paper or maybe even food and books, then it's it's going to be very hard to compete with Amazon. And I'm thinking long-term now, not only two years, but really 10 to 20 years. Because, <clears throat> you know, in Sweden, Amazon launched a year or two ago and people said, ha you know, Amazon is out of the game because they didn't really change the environment at all. You know, it, Amazon is so freaking big this ship is bigger than some of you know massive countries in europe they have so much cash they can do so many things they could basically buy the entire e-commerce landscape in scandinavia if they wanted if they wanted to they could do it yeah like this it's crazy so so it will always be long-term impossible to compete towards amazon and the value propositions that they have towards the market so, so your your long term view on this is like, don't count them out because they had a bumpy start. Uh, they didn't it, have a bumpy start. They just they, didn't they bet a, on they, Scandinavia because they didn't care about the market size. It's too small of a market. So they said, yeah, let's launch, let's gather some data, and that's it. And uh, whenever we push the button, then we push the button, and then we're going to see that it's going to be mac- mac- massive. Um, s- uh, sub- subsidizes for customers where they buy massive market shares. And it's going to be super hard for the villas and for the bookstores and everything because it's just going to be hard to compete with an Amazon whenever they want to take so, the market. So, so your insight or experience view on this is they are learning right now. They haven't really pushed the button. In, in Scandinavia, yes. For sure. In the States, they already own 50% of online retail. So... That is quite a lot. Yeah, and and if and it, if you follow the, uh, the the strategic moves they made in America and how aggressive they were, clearly they haven't. They are still not doing anything in on on that scale in in Scandinavia. For sure, hundred percent. 
And uh, there is also another purchase behavior that is not price or speed driven necessarily. And those kinds of purchases still have a chance. And that's where I'm acting, which is the direct to consumer space. You sell a feeling, you sell a brand, you sell, you know, something else, a lifestyle. And that is going to be less, you know, competitive towards the Amazon landscape because it's, it's, it's hard to communicate those brands. It's in intrinsic values, there are other values than speed and price. Yes. Bottom line. Exactly. And <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's like what Google agree? said once. I, I you fully know. agree with your, with his, his view. I mean, it's like what Google said once, you know, they, they don't fear that much, you know, the big enterprises of Apple and then the Amazons and others, what they do fear is a small startup that come up with a very disruptive idea that is, um, you know, completely changing the way you do business or the way you do some kind of, uh, you know, product or service. And, uh, and that's why I think, you know, you shouldn't like just say, oh, it's impossible to fight against the, the tech giants. No, it surely is, right? And you have proven it a number of times. And if you just come up with a different way to, to launch your product and services, you still have a really good chance and um, you can really be really successful even though there are these tech giants right you you can i mean in a similar way a quite poor entrepreneur can still uh, make it in many environments but i, I you know the, <clears throat> the they probably won't own 100 percent ever yeah. and they probably do not want to own 100 percent either because then they will be in trouble with the government mm. through regulations so they um <laughs> will have to you know um, yeah, probably yeah. on that border already, more or less. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Then yeah. they kind of solve it by, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, innovative solutions. Yes. But um, uh, so, so for sure, there, there will always be for, you know, private, small entrepreneurs. But if you want to make it on, on massive scale uh, in, in a broader, in, not in a niche, but in a broader uh, concept, then it's going to be very hard. But we are talking about in their own game because when uh, Amazon came, they were not fighting Walmart in their own game. He was fighting, fighting them in a completely new game. So the same will happen with Amazon at some point of time because some kid will find out new revolutionary way, create a new Amazon, and therefore it will go. It's the perpetual way of how business will go. So you start Walmart, Amazon, then I don't know, somebody else, right? And that's the optimistic beat, way of seeing no, it. But, uh, but you, know, you they, cannot beat them in their own game because they, they developed the whole e-commerce like it looks like right now. They also have like so huge amount of research, research into these fields. So, mm. you know, they are supposed to be very innovative <clears throat> and they have, you know, so much money they can spend on that. So how can you otherwise compete? You know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, Microsoft, they... Um, can pay tens of millions of dollars per year to the best scientists, data mm. scientists, engineers in the world to create the most. And if there is a problem, they just buy the company. Yeah, exactly. So it's, 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 it's a very hard landscape to, to um, uh, compete against. It would be super interesting to check uh, what uh, Facebook's market value at this stage is. I don't mm. know for sure, but it's probably it's around, time. you know, I don't know, $60 billion or something. So with that, with that uh, pockets, you can do a lot. Yeah. And there is, I saw some, some fun, you know, uh, fact that if you put $1 bills or whatever along the way, you know, then 1 million is this much, 1 billion is this much. And it's, it's just, you can't even imagine in your head how big and how much that is. Yeah. So if you Google for like top market cap or something, um, 
you will see that uh, Facebook, Google, and Amazon, and everyone are on the top there. Yeah, this. Okay, Apple, number one, 2,563 trillion. trillion. Is that trillion? Yeah, it is trillion. It is trillion. trillion. Okay, and what is one trillion? Is that a thousand billion? You were a bit off. Facebook is one trillion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is, okay, one trillion is 1,000 billion. One billion is 1,000 million. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that, that is, you know, you, you can't even... So, uh, so, so what, what is the Swedish... Uh, what is the interesting in the top 10, uh, you have only one traditional company that is yeah. Saudi Aramco. Yeah. It's an oil and gas company. The rest the, is, the rest is fundamental yeah. investment company. Okay. It's just sure. tech companies. Yeah. It's all, it's use fundamental tech companes. Yeah, this is investment. This is basically... Yeah. Uh, they, uh, Warren, Warren Buffett, Buffett only has. Yes. Yeah. And then below <laughs> Tencent, Tencent, NVIDIA, Nvidia uh, back to, back to then, okay, Visa Banking. Alibaba. Yeah. But it used to Visa used to be amongst the first ones and etc. You see, the landscape that would look like ten years ago, it doesn't look like today. So just uh, you know and, and speaking that Alibaba, uh, Alibaba and Amazon will stay on the top. And, and, and in the next 15 and this years, is the we we've been pushing hard and discussing a lot. I mean like uh, almost like a mission on this port. We are here to demystify AI because we want to close the AI divide and get normal companies to succeed in the new world. We think a, a more inclusive world with more people, more companies succeeding and understanding the new mechanics is necessary. Otherwise the divide of who haves and have nots will be segregation in a really bad way. Yeah. But you know, always when you have a lot of power with less than 10 companies, it's not a good thing, you know? It's yeah. not a good thing. <clears throat> this is a yes. change. Look at, look at this, Walmart number 17, 409. <coughs> Um, billion dollars, and then you have Amazon on number five with 1.77 yeah. trillion. But, but in, in that, so it's in this context, I really like the Shane example because it's a little bit like all the traditional companies need to wake up to the first principle of completely rethinking it will happen in industry after industry after industry. So, we 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 talked a lot of uh, we are fans of Elon Musk here, not, not maybe as a person, but as a thinker. And as we have person. talked a lot about <laughs> uh, first principles on, on our previous uh, seasons. So the fundamental topic of rethinking from scratch, your, your core engineering problem, your core market or business problem. And I think that's, Shane is, you know, it, it, it is here, it's out of the bag. And normal companies kind of need to get on bandwagon to figure that out from their point of view in my opinion no for sure i mean um yeah i mean 99 percent are probably um just doing the same thing they basically did last year with a slight improvement of maybe five or ten percent yeah they're not they're not they're not we we talk about this in the company i'm working with a lot and and some smart guys have said over and over again we need to, if you want 10x effects, we need to start setting 10x goals or 1000x goals. If we continue to work according to the industrial age maturity in, in the industry arena, oh, if we can get 1% efficiency improvement, we can make a bottom line 5% improvement. As long as you have that mindset, you're not going to start up the R&D projects. You're not going to try the different things. So. The whole well, 10x topic. The, the good, you know, positive side of this, what you, I think, represent as well is that you can 
you know, create small startups that are really successful by just, you know, being, you know, riding the wave of the latest technology, right? And yeah. cutting the middleman of using the latest technology, the brand as a service, more or less kind of technology, then you can actually do stuff yourself or with very little resources in a very short period of time, right? It's a very nice perspective towards the discussion we previously had because the yeah. previous discussion was quite negative. Exactly. And the, the positive side of this is, of course, that it's it's basically democratizing uh, entrepreneurship. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the people I meet today, they are maybe between 20 to 25 years old. Mm -hmm. They are self-made millionaires. They drive, drive uh, a Tesla car and uh, they... It, in my space, which is e-commerce, you know, do those kinds of e-commerce brands. And they wouldn't have done this 10 years. It, it wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago, yeah. but it's possible today. And I think this will also um, develop in the future that it things will be more sassified. Things will be more accessible when it comes to, um, you know, creating companies or creating innovation. Because this is profound also on the fundamental topic of, you know, we hold the whole job labor market and what are you going to do when you grow up? And if you, 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 you're uh, 18 years old in Stockholm, forget about getting an apartment, forgetting about getting the right job. And here, here all of a sudden, right, democratizing entrepreneurship is maybe a big part of the game of how we are, fut how our future society will, you know, what is Gen X going for? You know, what, where will they fit in, uh, so to speak? So I, I think that is a big uh, topic. So what would you advise someone? They're listening into this right now. They said, mm, I had this kind of idea. I know I love uh, dogs and fashion for dogs. Who said <laughs> Fashion for dogs. I, I know a person that do that. So I'm just, you know, speaking on her behalf. But how do I get started? You know, you have this idea and, and you want to get started in, you know, building up a brand for uh, dog fashion. How, how do you do it? Yeah, let, 101, the, the fashion uh, uh, <laughs> advisor, step one, step two, let's do it. Exactly. So um, today, you know, we used to build uh, an e-commerce platform on uh, something called Magento 2, which is this open source, quite complex. We had developers. It cost us several million sec, but uh, we all threw it in the paper bin because we saw that Shopify is better and cheaper. So, so, so Shopify is a service for e-commerce basically? Or? Exactly. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a service for e-commerce. You can uh, create, you know, and this is also uh, aligned with the previous discussions. In Shopify and obviously also other platforms, but my my I'm a big fan of Shopify as Shopify also knows. <laughs> it, it, you can, in three clicks, activate payment methods on you know local payment methods on 90 markets globally you know so if the customer serves from portugal or brazil or whatever they get displayed those pay the payment options they want to pay with it's just one service you just fill it out once and then you're good to go um, and in shopify you also have now this um, app environment so you can choose between thousands of apps that you just install and then you're also good to go. And this, you have everything there. So let's start with logistics, which is important for Shopify. So there are several apps such as Prime Penguin or Bird or similar, BYRD. We, we work with both of them, actually, um, where you just can 
uh, click three or four times, fill out some info, and then you're good to go with an integration with a 3PL, a third-party logistics, uh, physical, and you just ship them the products and they take care of this, you know. So explain this in a bit more like non um e-commerce terms kind of way. So logistics in this way basically means how to... Explain it to the cat lady. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) To the dog. So you need a product and that product can be, uh, needs to be purchased somewhere. And um, you can produce it in a lot of different countries. Different countries are good at producing different things. But let's say you want to do uh, cat fashion, dog fashion. Then um, uh, fashion items are usually produced in Portugal or Bangladesh or China. Mm. So you go to one of those countries, you find products, and then you start uh, selling them through the Shopify store. And in the beginning, you can even ship the products yourself. But whenever you sell too much, you just add a logistics, third-party logistics provider that does the shipping for you. Mm. And that is basically all you need to know. And this can be set up, if you know how it works, I would say 30, 60 minutes. Because there is like templates for designs and everything is there already. You need a little bit of a photo shoot. You need a pricing strategy and all that stuff. But that, um, yeah. Okay. So you go to Shopify. They help you stop the payments. They help you potentially with the logistics. Um, you have to buy it or create some kind of website or something. Or I guess Shopify helps you with that as well. Probably. Yeah, that is Shopify. Yeah. Exactly. But then you need to make people aware of your brand. How do you do that then? Uh, and you basically answered it already, but just, you know, say some. Yeah, exactly. So the, um, you make people aware, um, depending on where the eyeballs are. Mm-hmm. So, uh, today a lot of eyeballs are in social media and therefore it usually is in social media where you start doing marketing instead of, um, <laughs> some other medium. And um, there is Facebook ads that are super common for uh, those kinds of brands. You can sign up in five minutes and then you're good to go to start doing uh, ads towards any audience, Tesla fans or uh, whatever. Elon Musk fans, Elon Musk haters. That's the beauty that you find the community, you find your niche, you you can pinpoint the niche. Exactly. You can find a super, super tight niche. And even, um, um, you know, now the algorithm changed slightly because Apple had an update. So Facebook couldn't pull as much data from Apple as uh, before, but, but it still works great to do something called lookalike target audiences, which is basically that you just import, uh, you know, 100 or 1000 people that already purchased from you. And then Facebook can find out whoever your potential the customer twin is. Twin analysis, simply simply put. This is an, an automated way of finding your target oh, audience. This is collaborative filtering, pure. Okay, so uh, what, what you're saying is, uh, what I mean with twin analysis, analysis you, 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 you have 10 or 100 people who bought, and whatever, that those you feed that back to Facebook, and then th- they can understand the profile of them and find their twins in, in, the, in the larger. Exactly. And the more trans- transactions you have, uh, the better, the better becomes this uh, algorithm. Mm. And I mean, it's, a, it's a pure recommender system, clarity yeah. filtering approach. So yeah. yes. yes. And then you also have the manual tasks, which is obviously influencer gifting, which is emailing or uh, direct messaging influencers on TikTok or Instagram. And you gift them or you sponsor them and create those kinds of collaborations. So they show the product to their audience. And this can be for small influencers with 1000 following or big influences with millions in following. And you pay, you pay their author. Yeah. You basically, uh, pay them according to a, a strategy that you have, because you want to maximize that, that, um, uh, the input, the money you pay them. 
And uh, I don't think we have to go through that process here. I can, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about finding the best but investment, right? If you want to start small, you can simply try to find someone in your neighborhood, someone uh, that you're acquainted to, um, that maybe uh, have some podcast, some way, some way to reach out to a group of people and have them speak about your product or brand, and, and just to get started small, right? Yeah, for sure. Word and of mouth kind of marketing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that wouldn't be as scalable, but uh, for sure. And I mean, for example, uh, there is a, a web shop that is working with podcasters only. So podcasters, the thing they uh, saw is that podcasters have tr uh, trouble in monetizing what they do, uh, the time they invest into podcasts. So they create merchandise for podcasters and they have this marketplace for podcasters. So whenever you're a podcaster, you can uh, sign up, uh, you can upload your logotype or picture. They can print this picture, uh, which is done on demand uh, on a t-shirt or a hoodie or a cup. And then this product is sold uh, directly to the end consumers. The marketplace gets a kickback. The podcast gets a kickback. Um, and this is Let's also... Done, and this we is take done, this afterwards. We have the after after work when we drink more beer and we fix new business models. Exactly. <laughs> cool. If we continue with that question, then, then we have some idea of how to get started and how to you know use different sites like Shopify and how to organize the logistics. But let's say you become rather successful and you want to start building up. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to, to create the startup. It's, it's a different thing to scale it up. Exactly. And creating is, is all about failing because uh, nine of 10 uh, web shops, uh, probably more, I don't have the statistics, but my experience is that most of the web shops actually fail. Mm. And uh, I call it proof of concept or I call it traction. And the defin definition of this for me is uh, having a customer acquisition that is um, uh, cheaper uh, uh, or below the, the margins that you have on the product. So you actually make money whenever you buy a customer through those marketing channels, right? right. So when you can prove that you have a positive a customer acquisition cost, that's when you can start scaling. How do you measure this? How, what, what's your ratios? What, what do you look at when you're trying to look at for one deal? How do you measure that? It's not really um, rocket science because you just have the, this is the product cost, this is the logistics cost, this is the marketing cost, and this is the operational cost, which can be personnel or anything else, bookkeeping, etc. And this is very often about the same. So if we talk direct to consumer where you cut the middlemen and sell directly to the end consumers, you very often, let's say, have a 80% gross margin. So you pay 20% for the product, you pay... If you do global logistics, another 15 to 20% on logistics. So you have 60 left. Uh, then marketing cost is usually roughly 10 to 20%. So let's say you have 40 left after this and after marketing, and then you have operational costs that usually is around 10%. So you should have 30% left. Uh, and when you can prove that you make 20, 30% of revenue in improved profits, that's when you can scale. And what's the steps you start thinking about then concretely? Yeah, I mean, thousand xing the things that work, basically. What so, is that? concrete example? What What do you mean? Uh, this This environment changes so fast. Um, so, if you look at, I mean, the the platforms where the eyeballs are today are also moving a lot. Uh, on Facebook, for example, it's only 
you know, 40, 50 plus people that actually hang there. <laughs> on Instagram, though, there is a little bit younger people. So there's like 30 to 60 or something like that. I would say that is the main target audience. But, you know, the, the uh, 20, 25 minus people are not even hanging on Instagram because it's lame. So they hang today on, for example, TikTok. And TikTok is currently the fastest growing social media platform. It's growing by millions of people every day. And uh, wh whenever you choose, whenever you pick your platform, you have to think of supply and demand. So uh, demand is uh, what, how many people are currently looking at this platform or in this platform. So how many people are the users of Facebook and what is the supply of content on the platform? So how many people actually post on this platform? Uh, supply and demand, uh, the demand is super uh, high currently on Instagram, for example, but supply is also super, super high because a lot of people post about their cats and stuff, you know, so yeah. nobody really cares about that. Uh, and therefore the, the chances of becoming viral is quite small. But TikTok, on the other hand, you have a massive growing audience. Uh, uh, the demand is increasing and the people posting are not too many. So if you become viral on TikTok, you can, you know, get 50 or 100 million views. But if we speak a bit more like almost philosophical about this, I'm going a bit Lex Friedman here, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> we need Lex Friedman. No, no. But uh, you mentioned a number of Chinese company, uh, companies and, and we have, of course, you know, the, the big Alibabas that is bigger than most people think and, and um, you know, Tencent, Tencent and Baidu and whatever. And then we have these Shine.com and, and TikTok. What, what do you think about the future when it comes to Chinese companies versus European or American? What do you think will happen there <laughs> in that market it's, space? It's also a very good question. And um, I can highly recommend to read uh, Ray Dalio. So Ray do, Dalio? Do you know Ray Dalio? Yeah, the economist. Yeah, so Ray Dalio, he is um, he's a banker. He runs his own um, uh, fund, uh, a hedge fund, and he's been doing this crazy, crazy successful over the past years. And he's come to an age now where he wants to give back to the world. So everything he knows is uh, summarized in a book that is called Principles. He's also actually launching reports from his hedge fund uh, for free online. And those are quite complex. It's like 50 to 80 pages with big analysis and stuff. But the thing is, he has roughly 300 people that full-time uh, work with analyzing the, the environment in the world. Uh, uh, to so that they can maximize the profits for their investors. <laughs> and um, even before the pandemic, he had a pandemic expert, full-time working on <laughs> pandemics. <laughs> so he's, it, he switched on. So I'm saying this because he's really legit, legitimate and he's also, you know, he wants good for the world. Um, he wants to give back now. And uh, what he has been doing is basically to analyzing, <laughs> you know, 15, 16, 17 different factors affecting um affecting uh, um let's call it a global leader or a world leader uh, i I'm, I'm referring to usa i mean this this changed in the past right first it was the netherlands because they built ships that bought a lot of different you know peppers and salt that transport this and they became super rich then the, the netherlands fell and then uh, great britain came along did the same thing, but better with better boats and stuff. So they were made more efficient, uh, better technology, uh, and then a Great Britain fall. And then after this, the American uh, uh, USA came uh, and, and basically did the same thing. So Ray Dalio is talking about cycles 
And he's talking partly about short-term debt cycles, which is every seventh to 10th year, there is a crash on the market. And he's talking about long-term debt cycles, which is every 70th to 100th year, basically. And he is arguing for that every 70, roughly every seventh to 100th year, there is a, a, a massive change in the world. And the um, fundamentals behind this or the most important factor behind this is debt. So mm. when there is a, a change in the world order, debt is erased often through war. You know, war is killing, is, uh, means inflation and, and every, every you know, bad thing you can imagine. And then that debt is erased and everybody starts basically at zero. And there is very often also a new world order uh, while this happens uh, with a new world currency, right? So the US dollar hasn't been the world's main currency forever, but only for, you know, 70, 80, 90 years. And he's saying that we have a um, similar change coming in the future again. And then he defines those 15, 16, 17s factors, which can be um, how, uh, what do you call it, how... Um, uh, what, how is the income among people, um, uh, help me out here. So the, the distribution of income or the, yeah, the distribution of income? In income is, is, is always in the late cycle. You know, um, <laughs> the rich are super rich. The poor are super poor. Um, there is a lot of different factors affecting this. He's like looking at the trends from the past world orders and comparing them to the current world order. And interesting is that you see that in the end of that cycle, the U.S. dollar, uh, not the, but the 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 currency that the entire world uses always falls. So that's the last thing happening. Mm, and uh, he's also, and to answer your question, this was a long <laughs> answer. <laughs> we love it. It's we good. love it. Uh, this is education. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I really to, like it. To answer your question, um, uh, he argues that uh, China uh, most probable will become the new world power because simply they are growing really fast. They are doing things better than the Western world and the United States will fall in global power. And therefore, and even to the point where the currency, uh, what we are following, you know, if you follow that, that whole logic could also switch how we look at uh, the different currencies we follow today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if you look at what happens and now we're talking finance almost, and I'm no expert within that, but uh, what happens when uh, when you have a massive, massive, massive debt, which we currently see, and we don't see that the debt increases, but uh, it decreases, but rather increases, mm -hmm. sooner or later, you just lose trust for a currency. You don't believe it then anymore. And uh, in, in the 70s, the US dollar was um, directly aligned with gold, right? So you had to back up the US dollar with gold. Uh, then they removed this. So then they just could print as much money as they wanted. And currently it's working, but I don't know, in five years or 10 years or 15 years from now, it probably won't work anymore because sooner or later, uh, the people that lend the money uh, probably don't think that they will get back the money. And that, that is when something massive will happen that will have massive consequences. Many topics there, but great um, That's a really overview. good story and overview and a very interesting reading. So I guess the, the conclusion then is that China, yes, and the services like TikTok and um, Shine will continue to reign in some way and continue to grow, right? Yeah, I mean, you have, um, 
several perspectives on this. One perspective is um, how hard Chinese people work. You know, there is few people I know that talk better English than, than Chinese people. There's few people that I know that work harder it's surprising. I and mean, go to so many conferences, you know, scientific conferences, and normally Chinese people speak horrible English. But I guess it's changing, you know, in later years. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the ones I know have studied at Harvard and Stanford yeah. simultaneously. They speak perfect English, and they work nine nine seven, which is you work nine to nine seven days a week. Yeah, yeah. And I talked to uh, one guy, and I don't want to say a name, but he met the Shane founder. Mm. He told me that you know he's working. 24-7. A Saturday, he's taking the train from Shenzhen to some other place. Uh, in the evening, he has a meeting there. Then he takes a flight somewhere. He works on Sunday, of course, and does a meeting there. It's an entirely different environment. And I understand why that is, because they are still hungry. They still want to see... They, st they believe in the future way more than uh, we are quite full, you know. <laughs> and I heard from a scientific point of view as well that Chinese uh, scientists have a big advantage because they, of course, know English very well and can follow all the English uh, you know, publications that are happening, but they can also follow the Chinese. And it's a lot of you know, native publications happening that only Chinese have access to and that the rest of the world does not have access to, which give them a big advantage. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can't agree more. It's a big market, man. Is it, <laughs> it's a big market. They don't need the rest of the market. Yeah, it's one billion people. Yeah. You know, they can just serve themselves, and that's it. Mm -hmm. I want to. I want to go on a completely different tangent here for a while. Actually, for once, I would like to go. Actually, go first. Then. <laughs> go first. Then. Cool. Because I think that I, so I was doing a little bit of research uh, today about e-commerce and um, and especially how do we align this with AI because I thought that it was very important and you mentioned a couple of things and then we spoke about Shane and all of this other stuff. So I, I will just mention 10 trends that is common on uh, internet right now that you can find on e-commerce. You can demystify them or completely debunk them, okay, whatever <laughs> you want to do with it. But some of them are actually AI oriented uh, and some of them are actually a little bit more. So uh, I will actually read them. I will not put them there. So um, the number one, Delivery with drones. You started mm. with this a yeah. little bit, so I think it's a great topic to talk to. Mm. The second one, omnichannel experience, so physical and digital embarking into one. I think this is not a, this has been on for, for almost a decade now, so it's not a something special. <laughs> Various payment options you already mentioned, like Shopify translating basically your pricing into 80 different currencies in a simultaneous way. So I think this is actually really, really good. But then you have Apple Pay, you have blockchain, you have all of these other things. I'm not sure. Uh, just memorize it so we can talk about it a little bit later on. Mobile commerce, 70% of all online uh, uh, retail is actually done on uh, mobile. I think that is impressive numbers, actually, mm. if you look at it. Uh, personalization of the experience, so recommendation system, shopping experience. This is your domain this uh, is under uh, recommendation, yeah. et cetera, right? Yeah. Visual uh, stimuli. So this is basically, as Shane had, like the images, uh, video, uh, virtual reality. H&M is working basically on this uh, new... Uh, what is can, called visual. You can try it. I mean, like you, you get an experience where you can try exactly. the, the. So you clothes go to the store. You go to a store. You look at yourself, and the, the you know there is this, the camera capturing your body, and then basically you choose which uh, whichever you know model you want to. And you put it. Um, so it's quite good, I think. Automated service chatbots, right? 
sustainability and social responsibility that we touch upon, which is really good. good. Uh, voice search and voice uh, commerce. Packaging and logistics optimization, which basically uh, what is called Amazon had with the uh, with the um, and, and and also with the robots shame. inside. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, it's which one of those thing you 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 really believe are right now shaping the e-commerce? And then from the other side, which things do you think? Uh, which of those you think that AI can help with? right now, or it's already helping. So I will repeat them very quickly. Delivery of drones, omni-channel experience, various payment options, mobile commerce, personalization of experience, visual stimuli, automated service, sustainability and social responsibility, voice search and voice uh, commerce and packaging and logistic optimization. Yeah, I have thoughts on all of them. Um, and, you know, let's start with the sustainability topic. You know, this would probably just increase over time. And, and that's just a fact. Um, um, so, so I don't think it's, it's so much more to add uh, in that topic. Another topic is uh, drones. There is actually in Australia a city already, quite big city, that uh, is testing this, uh, not only testing this, but that is doing this on a regular basis. There has been... Uh, re very recently, over 1 million uh, deliveries with with uh, drones. So really? this is actually already working quite well. And they are collecting data. And it's more about the um, regulations than anything else. Um, when it comes to um, mobiles, I mean, again, eyeballs. Uh, previously, we were sitting on the laptop. Mm -hmm. Today, a lot of people are sitting on mobile devices instead. This will simply change over time. Um, when it comes to personalization, that is super interesting. <laughs> this will just become better and better and better thanks to AI um, until the last boss, basically, where the last boss is you don't even have to think of ordering something because it will be at your door already. And you which, will ship it when you don't need it. Yeah, which is AI-driven already. And those um, uh, you know, bots or AIs are uh, quite good already, uh, I would say. Um, and... Um, yeah, what more should I comment? I mean, uh, automation is interesting. Let's focus a little bit on this. So the trend in the past five, six, seven years has been to, in the warehouse, bring the package, you know, okay, 10 years ago, there were people going to the shelf, taking the pack, the product, bringing it to your station where you pack those three, four different products together, put it in a box, close the box, put the label on it and ship it. I know this because I've been working on the warehouse uh, when, when there's been Christmas uh, time, because then you have those revenue peaks. So everybody in the company used to work in the warehouse. When we were sold, I used to work there for, okay. Um, today, there is something called AutoStore that is super common in Scandinavia. They pick the product for you. So you don't have to go to the shelf and walk back all the way uh, to actually, you know, walk those hundreds of meters or sometimes kilometers. But this can be automated and this is automated on scale. Robots, most of the, most like of the robots going around. Yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, square. And then you can um, use those robots. Uh, not only, you know, uh, the space used for the warehouse is much smaller because you also can use the height. Yes. Right. So uh, you can have this. It's usually, let's say, 100 times 100 times 100 meters or so, not 100 high, maybe <laughs> <laughs> times 20 high. And they bring the products to you. What is the next trend that is, 
you know, being tested now is not only uh, doing this, but also taking the product, consolidating them, uh, putting them in the box, closing the box, putting the label on it. And this will probably be, the, there will probably be the same development there in the next five, 10 years as AutoStore developed the pick uh, process the, the, the pick part is automated now with without to for all the spot and more kitchen time you know you name them name this them. is out of store type warehouses yes yeah and now you, so this is the first part of that logistic process and now we into robotics on the second part which exactly. is the consolidation and slapping uh, it in the box and putting a sticker on it yeah exactly so uh, and you know it's it's scary because a lot of people will uh, lose their jobs obviously and those people are usually very young and they um, uh, usually are quite dependent on the job and and um, also needed to start somewhere in in the work environment. so um, yeah well the job market is certainly a bit uh, interesting question and um I think we could speak more about that, but if we go through it a bit from an AI point of view, I think it's kind of interesting. I, I, I find it hard to to not see AI everywhere. Every <laughs> part of this, I, I, I mean, was thinking the same. Drones, obviously, you know, you need automated that. You need, uh, you know, computer what's vision the AI application? Is is computer vision right? Yeah, for one for one part, but the planning and uh, the whole uh, matrix of making that drone work. You know, everything is controlled. And, by and it's AI back to the, the Luciano's traveling salesman. You know, yeah, op- optimizing yes. optimizing the routing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the payment, of course, as well. And and I remember once I, I were. I went to this conference and um, this P- poor, you know, very nervous PhD student were presenting his thesis work, which was on personalized uh, pricing, saying that uh, you should price, you know, not in a <coughs> static way, but actually have it dynamically depending on who is yeah. buying it. And he was really proud of his algorithm. And, and suddenly one senior data scientist from Amazon stood up and said, this is the worst research I ever heard. We will never in Amazon make use of personalized pricing because we think it's discriminatory. And and this poor PhD student, you know, he was like falling, you know, behind his shoes. Or I mean, he was so embarrassed and, and it was really horrible. But this is still, you know, even this is like five, ten years ago. So I mean, I think it's changing. But obviously, a lot of uh, the whole payment. Uh, process can also be automated and made more personalized in various ways. Yeah, let me do a comment there real quick. So um, what we used to do in Confident Living is to scrape the competitors' prices, which often was done through price or PC Act. Mm. And then um, we could price our own products according to certain rules. So we set different rules for suppliers or categories, etc. right? And I mean, this changes so fast. So if you buy a plane ticket today, mm-hmm. the price is certainly uh, individualized. So depending on if, if it's the first or the second time you, you buy the ticket, it's p- very probable that the ticket price is higher the second time yeah, you check out the flight. Because yeah. you probably um, need to talk to your family, think a little bit uh, first before you book the actual ticket, right? And um, yeah. And on SG, uh, Staten Sjärdvägar and another, and uh, I think SAS do it as well. And most people are, or many, many camps are doing this, even though it's, it's not obvious. Yeah. Uh, recommender system is so obvious. I don't need to, to mention it. Of course, you know, that's the core AI kind of uh, application. 
chatbots, yeah, same there. The, the only thing, you know, normally chatbots today is not AI-based, I would say. It's basically mm-hmm. rule-based and they're horribly built and, and really poor performance. They're, they're not truly conversational NLP built. They don't understand in, in that way. But, but what you can do today, and I think especially what you've seen lately with uh, yeah, MENA system, and there's one from Facebook that came out just a couple of weeks ago called uh, Blender Bot 2.0. It's such an amazing chatbot, uh, and, and it's it's nothing like what you have commercially available. It actually goes and searches online while you're discussing. So if you ask a question, it has you know it can answer of course in text, but it can also while you're thinking about the answer, it, it does some kind of you know Google search for whatever and and extracts information from that. Do information extraction, information retrieval. And, and do the whole text generation to actually make it look like a human sus- de- uh, answer it. And I actually tried it out personally. It's quite just insane, quite insane how fast it's going here. Sustainability, there is an, a huge amount of work with AI there, voice search. Uh, it's obvious once again. So it's interesting, know. like when you when we're picking that apart, there's algorithms in all those tech innovation. <clears throat> like the trend is tech innovation. And if you, if you scratch the surface, it's data, it's AI and software mm. in, in a nutshell, right? The, the, there's not only software here. It's an algorithm dimension in all of them. Well, software is an, yeah, okay. No, but oh, no, that. that's uh, a good one. Yeah? <laughs> but it's interesting because, you know, uh, again, my, my space e-commerce, it's very much a physical thing to do. You know, physical products, you have mm. to ship them and the pra- package is transported from A to B, you know. But the baseline of, of, of e-commerce is always code you know let's look at shopify and let's also look up the market cap of uh, shopify Um, (laughs) it's probably growing yeah it's probably growing i actually did give me a second Uh, um, (laughs) and um number 62 yeah it's 63 so shopify yeah shopify recently raised i don't remember but you know hundreds or thousands of millions of dollars Mm. so they raised a lot of lot of money. So, uh, what do you think Shopify will do with this money, Henrik? AI. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I no. I mean, it, what, what what they need the money for and what it will go into. Yes. Yeah. I'm, if you look at the hires they do on LinkedIn, it's always interesting to see Shopify hires only in Scandinavia now. Hundreds of people. Uh, it's obviously a lot of developers, you know. Um, but but what type the, of developers? The, the, what they, are they, what are they trying to build? You know, they build an ecosystem. So, you know, the the companies that become uh, not only successful, but dominant, what differs them from all the others is that they build an ecosystem that you just cannot break, right? And if you have Amazon on, on in the one aspect where you have the ecosystem for price and speed, <laughs> and you're like 100% dependent of them in order to uh, be able to offer price and speed to to the end consumers, you need their warehouses, you need their platform, everything. Uh, then Shopify is the other aspect of this discussion because <laughs> Shopify is now building, uh, you know, uh, one year ago I saw 20 warehouses. Now it's probably more. They are building physical things. In 10 years, I would say Shopify has a warehouse in every single country in the Western world. They will help you ship and distribute the products. They will have... Uh, contracts with every single um, uh, logistics uh, company in the world to to deliver the products for you. Everything will be 
basically simplified and automated. And we talked about sassifying previously, right? Mm -hmm. Everything will just be further sassified. And if Amazon is basically sassifying the speed and and um, price aspect of things, then uh, Shopify is is sassifying the brand uh, and uh, you know feeling and maybe you know small business uh, part of the market. Does that make sense? Makes hundred percent sense. And here, 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 all of a sudden, we have the the, the old question: uh, Who should Amazon be afraid of? Not the ones that are trying to copy Amazon, but the, but Shopify that is now springing up, focusing on a, a different part of the game, and doing the same play but with another ecosystem in focus. And used to bring that back. Um, if you look at the news, they are basically using the money to buy marketing uh, e-commerce companies. Yeah, but but I think this whole ecosystem topic now now you're coming back to my story and what i'm working with and 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 the, the kind of learnings i have had in, in in large enterprise where you have the energy uh, uh players i worked in vattenfall and we t- we looked looked at the value chain in one way and then clearly we, we could understand that okay you will have prosumers in energy who produce energy right so all of a sudden, uh, already five, ten years back, okay, this is a different market evolving. It's going to be more of an ecosystem. Now, the problem is that the old incumbents like Vattenfall and the other ones, they haven't really understood what it means to take an ecosystem play. So they, they realize and they speak quite openly, oh, we are growing into an energy ecosystem or, 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 or you have a, a truck manufacturing going into a transport ecosystem. But to reimagine your position, what that means when you become the, the you know the key player in the ecosystem, I think that's that's the Uber and Alibaba. That's what all they've done. They, they made the markets around their own ecosystem. Shopify is sort of not only a good player in the ecosystem; they are sort of driving the ecosystem. Exactly. And let's take this comparison because you said Shopify raised. I think it was a one hundred twenty million dollars, right? The last one is. The last one is 50 million actually okay from there but so it's surprisingly how how small amount of money they have um, taken uh, in investment this is compared to market yeah, cap. because it's only six investments if you see in the total right this is according to uh, crunch base and this is like uh, is audited, right? good business with that market cap. They, they are highly profitable yeah so it, you see the last one is actually no to, to this year they actually had no this is the latest ones See July, so, so from March to now they have got their fifty million, twenty-two million, okay, seventy-three so million. Yes, so accumulated. So Shopify. So let's talk about you know how Shopify will dominate the ecosystem of retail. So uh, Shopify is starting Shopify Ventures, for example. So imagine if you have a company that not only provides a satisfied experience for e-commerce through IT, but also they have they provide the warehouse where you can ship the products. Uh, and now they also start owning the shares in the companies doing this, you know, so they become an kind of an incubator uh, within uh, direct to consumer e-commerce. So it, it the talking tentacles, about the tentacles use grows and grows and grows. Exactly. And that's, that's what it's all about when you, when you talk about uh, owning the ecosystem. Yeah. And this is the, the this is the topic now that trying to imagine yourself, I mean, like from, we've been a, a producer within an energy ecosystem, or we've been a truck manufacturer within, a, within transport. Now we need to understand that we are, 
we are we are a player in an ecosystem. We're not we're not a commodity supplier of trucks. We are, we are some part at, we can su- su- facilitate transport. So you need to reimagine how you see your business model. Then you need to do the next reimagining. How do I become a player in that ecosystem? And then the end game. How do I sort of drive the ecosystem? Yes. Th- this is now we're talking first principles on business model, on on on, on so many levels. Yeah. And by the way, all of this is fueled by data because for those ecosystems to work, they work because you have a flow of data from the different partners or the different players in the ecosystem. Yeah. So here we can now talk about Spotify. Uh, yeah, we, but but what I'm trying to say is, you know, we talked a lot about uh, technically, you know, where where is the world going? Is it monolithic or is it more edge intelligence or is it more decentralized? We have different uh, uh, we have different very te- various techniques. How do I make an AI model work in a distributed or decentralized way? And, and then it's semantics what we mean with distributed or decentralized. So 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 all the way to like we want algorithms to work across the whole ecosystems even if people can't share data. So on a very technical level, I think we are talking about these topics. And for me, the fundamental driver and play here is ecosystem, meaning decentralized. You know, we need to be able to play with uh, private data, not open data, stuff like this. So I, I think there are so many layers of what ecosystem means in terms of making data systems and data and AI work. So uh, this was a little bit of, of a, a play to you, Anders. How, how do you come into this? I'm, I'm, I'm picking yeah, up there. Do you agree or do you disagree? Could, could you just uh, repeat the, the question? I mean, like, so my my rant, which was it was not <laughs> yes. a question, it was a rant. Exactly. <laughs> my, I didn't want to say that, but yeah. my rant was <laughs> ecosystems is the shit. And yeah. if you understand that, what does that mean from a data and AI perspective? I think it means decentralized, distributed, well, whatever you want to call no, it. I like the phrase as, uh, as this, you know, for, for the big tech giants, you know, owning the ecosystem and locking them in like Apple do or Amazon does is, of course, successful and a bit dangerous in many ways. But I think the the conclusion from this and the discussion, I think, with you, Bjorn, is that there are ways to escape that kind of ecosystem. There are ways that people can be entrepreneurs and and be very creative, uh, even though they have these kind of big players, right? And I, I think that's a very important lesson to learn. And then we can have another like long philosophical discussion about you know how we break the AI divide, but and and the ecosystem that they build and what Shop- Shopify is trying to do. But that's, I know you can't really blame a company for, because they want to be successful, right? But uh, the, the point, I'm, I'm not trying to make the point that this is bad or good or anything like that. I'm trying to make the point that if you want to survive, you need to understand how you can gain in the ecosystem. And basically sometimes, I mean, like if you're a big boy, you're trying to be the center of the universe and own the ecosystem, mm. but there's so much success to have to be a partner or a player in the ecosystem, but to participate, you kind of need, need to be connected data and AI wise. So what I'm trying to say is that the ecosystem idea will happen, whether you like it or not, you can participate in many ways, but I was going a little bit more for what does that mean for the underlying tech dimensions? If you want to participate in ecosystems, yeah, I mean, I mean, let's uh, try to flip the question here to Bjorn. But I can just give a quick um, reflection on that, perhaps, and and a bit scary part 
potentially is that all the data you know is owned by the tech giants. They have all the information about the users. They have all the information about the products, what they're trying to solve. So you know you can come to the conclusion that you know oh, this is so scary. How can we, as a small startup that have basically no data, even start to have a chance to use data and AI? Because you know I don't have anything. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I think, and it would be fun to hear what you think, Bjorn. It it works surprisingly well with a small amount of data and the data that you can collect yourself to still be data driven <coughs> and use a lot of the data type of AI techniques yourself. Yes. And, and you shouldn't be scared, you know, that, you know, the big tech giants understand so much about the world and the products and the users. It's still possible. And I think you've shown it a number of times already. It's just that you have to be a bit creative. Right? Yes, I, I'm thinking of two things. Uh, the first thing is something I learned in university. And, you know, I, I'm a generalist, so I don't know the details about stuff at all. And I, I don't put those numbers in my head. But the, there is a number, I think it was seven, which is like the number that you need to reach to make something statistically significant. Yeah. And you know what this means, right? So in order to make a statistical... Um, uh, what do you say, announcement, or uh, y- y- you need to reach a certain amount of input. And if you have that input, you can uh, say that <laughs> it is uh, X percent uh, that this s- happens or whatever, you know. Statistically significant. Yeah. yeah. So, so exactly. Maybe confidence it's, uh, interval is maybe it's, yeah, co- Exactly. Maybe it's 13 or something, but it's not a lot. So you don't need a lot of data to actually draw any <clears throat> uh, um, conclusions out of that data. And um, I'm also thinking the other thing uh, aligned with what you are saying, you know, that entrepreneurs <clears throat> or um, in 2021, you know, it's just uh, just like you say, th- or, okay, let's start here. So uh, I try to never put my baggage of norms uh, uh when I look at the world, you know, I come from a history and I'm growing up in certain places and this decides what I like uh, for eating or what I like to do uh, because I like to play paddle and everybody in Stockholm plays freaking paddle, for example, <laughs> right? But this I, is- I don't actually. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, and uh, th- th- this you is- You haven't started yet. Yeah, all this stuff is norm-based and we have to be critical towards our own norms. Mm. We can appreciate them, but we have also to be critical. Uh, because it's it's not always the truth, right? And the way I want to look at the world, and I just want to make clear that everything I say is also also not what I really, you know, uh, uh, would like to argue for or similar, but I just want to find out what is most probable to be the truth, right? And with this per- perspective towards the world, you have to, or I want to try to understand what does the world look like mm. and how can I profit from whatever happens in the world and therefore maybe do something good in this changing environment. And if I can do something good in this changing environment, maybe I can do something good for the world uh, uh, as well. So Bill Gates is the great example, right? He's basically giving away 99.9% of his wealth to save as many lives as possible and to build epic, um, um, you know, things that uh, potentially save global warming and stuff. Mm. <laughs> so he's giving everything he's made in his life. He is giving away. 
And, and it, it, that is due to him understanding the environment of the world and trying to build something good in it so that he becomes a powerful person so that he can give every, all his money away. But, but back to your question, and I think you, Bjorn, as a guest, is quite interesting around being insights-driven. We talk about being data-driven, insights-driven as companies. And if I look at, it has nothing to do that maybe you can't do it in the same way as Amazon is doing it, but what did you do? You read freaking books for one and a half years. So yeah, <laughs> you know, why did you do that? Is, is to understand the world better. What did you do in confident living? You, you figured out how to scrape the web to get the pricing points of your competitors. That's freaking data driven. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist to get that done. You need to use, be savvy and understand the world around you and then use the simple means to get more data and more insights to further your means. You know, so where, wherever is your starting point, of course you can be insights and data driven. You know, and I think that you're, you're, uh, you know, thank you for being here and being a good case study on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, a good example is all the small entrepreneurs that I meet, not small in terms of size, but small <laughs> young entrepreneurs I meet. Young entrepreneurs. <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> they, again, 24 years old. Uh, they understand how to, you know, not do two tests on Facebook Business Manager to make ads, but to, to do 100 different tests a week. So instead of using two content pieces, they use 100 content pieces, so they increase the chances of getting it right. Yeah, so basically, whatever you are starting at, it can be AI, but it can be other things that gives you data and insights to have better decisions. And you don't, don't need a big like research team on data or AI no. to, to actually start using data. That's yeah. the point. You can actually collect stuff like you do by scraping the web, but, scraping but, social but let's, media, let's take that as a concrete and example. That is actually really you, encouraging. You, you've been very humble and saying, I don't know shit about data. I, I don't have nothing. I'm not a data scientist. But here yet you are as an entrepreneur scraping data for confident living. Could, could you tell me exactly what you did? <laughs> well, you remember this was yeah this was like seven eight years ago maybe yes so you're so, not a techie let's let's start there right? i know a little bit of coding but you know not too much and what we did was to um we yeah we used this system that could uh, scrape code from preset and price what runner. is this system called um it uh, used to be called storm something you use and they as had an open source something you use get on the internet uh, no, so this was a, an IT. You're going for scraping, Henrik, or what? No, I'm, I'm just trying to prove a point that anyone can start if you are a little yeah. bit, you know, knowledgeable and interested. Get going. That's yeah, what I'm trying sure. to pr prove a point. Yeah, and I think I, <laughs> I'm not a coder again, but I think pulling off a script that scrapes uh, Prisiak is probably, you know, if you know zero, you can probably do this in a weekend. And it's a lot of, you know, you can, you can even. Uh, th there is YouTube, on YouTube, you can have entire Stanford full business educations for free. You know, there's, everything is available um, online today. So yeah. you can learn all the stuff. And if you have the grit to learn stuff, and if you're curious. That's the point, you, have you the can, grit and curiosity. Yeah, you can learn programming. You can learn anything you like in the world. As, as long as you don't uh, end up in the rabbit hole. <laughs> I think the world is flat or something. No, I, I was just making a point, right? That you, you are a business guy, but we're, we're very interested to learn new stuff. And you just gritted it out and you've put a scraper together, right? You, did you have any consultants helping you? Um, yes, we had, um, um, uh, we had help with this, but I can also say today in 2021, 
you know, consultants are everywhere. Again, young people are really innovating. So I met this guy, he's selling um, uh, swimwear uh, online uh, through, um, through his web shop. And he is the only person working in that store. Everything's outsourced. He has one influencer marketing team of like 20 people in, in the Philippines. He is outsourcing customer support, you know, development. Uh, there is great people in Israel or India or whatever. So this stuff is really accessible and super cheap in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm mean, very promising to hear and I hope people get encouraged to, and not discouraged, you know, because of the complexity potentially of data and AI encoding and building software, et cetera. We, we are running out of time, so we, we, we typically we have a, a, a couple of key questions. Yeah. So sometimes we even have, uh, like the final segments, sometimes we have some, some core questions and then we are asked the, uh, the guests to choose what to work, uh, what, what we should talk about. And I, I can't help it, but we have a couple of favorite topics. <laughs> so you can choose where Elon we, Musk. Yeah, let's, 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 do we want to talk about Elon Musk and first principles? <laughs> or do we want to talk about the growing AI divide. I think we've talked about it already. Another interesting one for the AI nerds is uh, to get different guests view on the singularity, singularity topic. Yes. Have you thought about that? (laughs) Have you you ever put some headache into that? So, you know, so do you want to talk about Elon Musk or singularity or you put another, put the third topic in? If we just say, you know, you, you're not an AI scientist, but, but you know, basically what AI is. Um, or what's your view, you know, as, as a non-AI scientist, what do you think AI is? And are you scared about it? Are you happy about it? What's your general thoughts about AI? Yeah, so <clears throat> exactly. Uh, you know, I've read like uh, Ray Kurzweil or yeah. uh, Max Tegmark and all yeah. those, um, <laughs> the big readers that uh, almost everybody reads. And it's a super complex topic, of course. I mean... Um, it's super hard to say, but I, I want to be an optimist. And I think there is certainly a lot of, lot of, lot of massive challenges in the world, but I also think there has always been massive challenges in the world. So uh, they have also always been needed to be resolved. And Mm -hmm. many of them have actually been resolved. So I think, I really think the future is entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and because the entrepreneurs are the people that, um, you know, simply do the change, right? So I think through, by having uh, the right entrepreneurs that are um, actually doing the work that is needed because it's freaking hard to to, uh, uh, be an entrepreneur sometimes, uh, that's the only solution. And this is, of course, the big picture. And um, (laughs) even the bigger picture is maybe singularity. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think... I hope the the world becomes a better place in the future. I hope people maybe don't have to work as much anymore, but I also hope they can find other things that are meaningful in their life instead in the future. Do you think there will come a point where we will have a super intelligence, where machines are more intelligent I mean, than people in most kind of tasks? If you phrase that question that way, I say, of course. I mean, uh, uh, because... Um, the, the only thing you always have to do, you have a graph, right? And that graph shows some kind of a development. And what you usually do is just to, um, you know, take that graph and take the sa- same trend into the future. And when looking at this topic, which is basically technolo- te- uh, technological development, mm. um, 
there it, it, it always um it it will sooner or later end up in a singularity the question is when and exactly what it will look like will it be a good thing or a bad thing for the world that is you hard to say believe in ray kurzweil in uh, 2029 yeah, do you have a number we yeah, <laughs> we have actually we, we have had as a joke so ask to our guests for a number <laughs> I no, I, I don't have a number. I think it's it's probably quite far away, and I, I um, a lot of people, you know, when I talk to people that are too deep down into, it's almost philosophy, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it they, is. They, true, they, they overestimate the speed it takes uh, to bring something to the market. So I would say, twenty twenty nine, no, uh, but if you would say two thousand five hundred, for sure. Of course, maybe it's even two thousand three hundred, maybe even two thousand one hundred. I have no freaking idea. Very really defensive kind of uh, estimates <laughs> there. Even uh, less but, than uh, Mickey Kapko. Uh, but you know, in 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 the nineties, uh, it um, you know we switched from a horse to a car, right? And then. But it's also so scary to think because we we can't really imagine where it's going to go when that happens, right? I mean, we've seen all the movies, right? But uh, um, it's a good yeah. one. 2100. I'm biting my tongue here not to continue that discussion. Uh, come on, come on. <laughs> and we we talked about this uh, in our in our internal therapeutic uh, sessions. Uh, don't bite your tongue. Please. Let no, me. but I can no, no, I shouldn't. I'm, you, I'm, no, 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 no. no. No, you're now, you're now, the expert. Yeah, now yeah, now now you have to say it because you're already in it. So when you started off like that, that's that's you uh, that's you selling. That, to me that is selling. <laughs> Yep. Okay, very brief, but I had a friend of mine who went on Swedish television recently mm-hmm. and it was published now a couple of weeks ago. And he went um with a non-AI believer in a, like a head-to-head game or match uh speaking about in 15 minutes, you know, will AI happen at all or I think it was a horrible setup. Uh, it was set up to just you know be a conflict and not really come to any conclusion or being able to find any common ground in any way and um, I, I don't like that kind of discussion but it was i'm biting my tongue <laughs> but it's 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 interesting okay uh, let's let me phrase it this way it's interesting from a philosophical point of view to d- still discuss these kind of topics sometimes for me i prefer to be optimistic and i believe that i <laughs> well, i want to say the words i i believe that we will as humans uh, have a better society when we have machines that become increasing, increasingly intelligent i think that's the the it's more it's better, more than 50% chance that that will happen so therefore i like it and why is that because you trust the machine More no, but, man. <laughs> but we can pick that apart because he'd been talking to us uh, off the camera, so I can mm. tell it for him. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but but he, of course, one of the things that uh, quite a lot but, because, because one of the core arguments, if you look uh, if you look through the years of history, how society has evolved, mm. typically over the, if if you look at the long, long you know thousands of years of macro life cycle. We kind of kill each other less now than we did thousands of years ago. You know, it, it, it is less brutal, not everywhere, but in civilized society, I, I think we are figuring it out some ways on a macro scale, better and better. So why, why shouldn't we be civilized at singularity? Why, why should that all of a sudden go, go away? 
I think that's one argument. Yeah, from an inductive logical reasoning point of view, that's the point. That's most probable, I would say. But then it can go wrong, and then yeah. it can go really wrong. But but that's, but, yeah. but, but it's more probable that it doesn't go but, wrong. But but the point that we have been making, or you have been making, and I agree with it, is that it's not the singularity that will yes, fuck us exactly. up. It, it it is when we have an AI going rogue that is not singularity, but it fucks up our you know yeah. banking systems or whatever, right? And that has nothing to do with that. It's a super intelligent topic. It's it's simply an AI yeah. going rogue. It's a stupid AI that I'm afraid of. It's yes. not the intelligent. That's AI. the point. Yeah. So you know when, for example, the Stupid narrow AI goes rogue on the stock markets, yeah, or goes rogue rogue on in kind of war situations, war situations, or in drones saying, you know, <laughs> "I want to drop this package in the head of the person because I then make more money or something." I don't know, some some wrong in that. Then it's, yeah. it, it could go bad. <laughs> yeah. So as long as we make it until the singularity, then we'll be fine. Question yeah. is if we oh. make it until then. Yeah. yeah, but then you also have the opportunity to implement a lot of technology in the biology, right? And yes. the question mm-hmm. is how Neuralink. this how this would like uh, how this competes with uh, the one hundred percent. Let's call it, you know, the the real AI. Okay, now, okay, we are over time now. We we open up a cool topic, cyborg topic. So AI singularity moved into biology. Let's can we? Is it okay? One or two uh, minutes. Uh, I mean, it's for the after after work that yeah. will happen now. Let's uh, keep that for the after after, after work. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, we we are running out of. We, we usually plan for two hours, so I think we should wrap up. And we usually also wrap up with a, some core questions: Is um, what is happening happening next? What, what is on your agenda that is sort of exciting? I mean, it's a lot of stuff exciting. The the podcast opens a lot of doors. That's one part. And um, uh, within uh, the company I founded together with my wife and Christian, uh, who is our business partner, we think we have something super exciting going on. And um, yeah, we'll just continue to do what we do. I think people... You know, the regular thing people say, you overestimate what you can achieve short term, but you Mm. underestimate what you can achieve long term. And I think just by doing the stuff we're doing for another 10 or 20 years uh, will create something uh, beautiful. And hopefully uh, this uh, beautiful thing that maybe is aligned with the current status quo, which is, you know, um, um, the the capitalistic society we live in uh, brings a lot of value to us so we can do good for the world. Right, so I really don't do this stuff for 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 money, but I just do it for for fun, and maybe uh, I can impact a few people along the way in a good way. So you have a couple of exciting projects lined up. I can hear yes. in between the lines. Hundred percent. Cool. Last question: If you were to um, recommend or someone you think should join as a guest, do you want to recommend a guest that you know around the topics of data and AI in in different ways? Yes, for sure. There's uh, this one guy called uh, Mon Saxong. Do you know him? Mons? No, I don't know him. Uh, he is. Um, he is. Um, he's also kind of an e-commerce guy, but he has grown into becoming crazy visionary. So uh, he thinks uh, big, big, big. He also knows a lot of more stuff than I know. So Mons Saxong. M O O N S U C K S O N G. 
Um, so uh, he's a Korean guy uh, living in Stockholm, uh, creating amazing thing and doing it with a big heart. Mons Axon. Say it again. Mons Axon. You have to send us the, the name or links later, I think. Yeah, that sounded really cool. <laughs> really cool. Anyway, thank you very much with that, uh, Bjorn. Very cool discussions. Very cool, uh, yeah, philosophical, <laughs> how-to, uh, tics, tips and tricks. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, for you that not joining the after-after work, too bad. We'll have fun <laughs> a couple of more hours. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Take care. Man. Thank you. Cheers.